0: Welcome to Beaming Ortelius, a podcast managed by the techies from the Ortelius open source project. We're focused on making microservices easy through a microservice catalog. Learn more at ortelius.io.
1: Hello, Internet, and thank you once again for joining us on the Cloud Native FM podcast. This is your co-host for the show. My name is Saim Sabzer, and I'm the co-founder of Cloud Native Islamabad and the organizer of the KCD Pakistan community. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, regardless of where you are or watching or listening to me or watching to the recording of this show a very warm welcome to the show a show which brings to you the latest and the greatest news from the cncf ecosystem and help you keep up to speed with what's going on and where you need to be focused on more or and where you where you meet the brave mind and the awesome community members, co-founder of the most watched open source project, and today is February the twenty-third, and I'm spending a lot of time with one of the most respectful community members of the time. Is from the backstage community, backstage open source project, and the CDO of the rowdy managed backstage open source project, from growing a member of team. So let me go into there. So Martina. We're starting again just for the blake of an eye. So can you introduce a small bit and then we start once again from where we left off.
0: Sure. Uh, thank you for Hello. having me again. Um yeah, so I'm going to talk a little bit about internal developer portals, why they are important, and how Backstage is involved in that particular case.
1: Yes, absolutely. But see the audience coming up. So is my voice is okay. So I hope this fixed now. And can you, you, should, uh, you please tell me if the voice actually fixed right now. So thank you very much for joining on the podcast. And feel free to mention your comments regarding the Backstage Open Source Project. Because we are discussing a lot about it today. So Let me once again go to the slide and give a small introduction of where we actually left off. So we are talking about the introduction of the platform engineering and how this backstage open source project help you. So let me, we were starting about previously, like what the need for the developer portal, uh, the need for the developer portals, the need, and that will make your life easier. And when building the platform and Kubernetes built and construct are just building block. One single Kubernetes cluster is not enough. Everybody knows you have 10 or th- you have 10 and 100,000 of clusters, and managing those clusters is not an easy job, and Kubernetes can be a very hard problem. And we're actually discussing on the last uh, slide like how platform can help a platform help with reducing the coordinate c- cognitive workload from development teams, provide a self-service approach to consume complex tools and approve our software delivery practice by paving path to production. A platform is a collection of services tools focused on enabling team with a self-service approach to get the tools that they need and when they need them. So we're actually just starting about how does a platform look like? And we're thinking about the challenges of platform Building a platform, and then we drive the conversation forward. How actually build uh, backstage project help you solve this problem? So, Martina, I get to go to uh, go go to once again, which, where we left off was discussing about the challenges of the platform, building the platform and the developer story, like what the things developers need and how the backstage actually open source project solves some of the pain problem of the developer story, how they fit into this. So over to you now, and I, I just Watching the chat and uh, adding question as I see in the chat.
0: Perfect. Yeah. So I was as I was saying earlier, there are a few challenges to building a good platform for your organization. One main challenge is fragmentation. There are a number of use cases for feature developers that the platform team has to tend to write. One has to solve better CI/CD pipelines better deployment tools, monitoring, logging, alerting. And maybe you have, at some point, several teams attending to each of these use cases separately. And that means each team has to reinvent the wheel again to produce a good interface to the those tools that they are building for their developers internally, right? That means everyone has to redo this work, produce different UIs, each each interface, sorry, may be deployed in a different URL. And that may be more difficult to adopt and discover by the feature teams. So what Backstage decided to do was to create a single pane of glass where all of these internal tools would be aggregated and whenever one created a new, let's say a new deployment tool, a new visualization for deployment, rollbacks, et cetera, instead of creating a new React web where people could see and click things, it was easier to just create a plugin in Backstage, make a new visualization very fast. You already had a website to deploy that to. And the second benefit was that developer teams would get that automatically because they were already visiting the developer portal every single day so adoption was easier as well it was faster and it was better as well for the platform teams because they would develop these tools much faster
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So, if if you look at the slide, there's a developer story coming up. Let's say if the developer is actually building a, building a some kind of feature. Let's say he's building a calculator, and he's as infrastructure. His infrastructure runs on top of Kubernetes, and we have a platform. And now let's a developer can I have a new environment because he need to test his changes before the they, they come into the production and then this uh, see how his how is this new feature works in the production so basically what happened here is like if if you if it, I am a developer, I need to create a new feature let's say I'm building a calculator uh, and basically for the IDP story what it does is. You don't go to the DevOps team to create a new environment for you. You don't file a ticket and it's asking, like, please create a new environment for me where I can test changes and then changes, uh, testing is happened, go to the production scenario. So IDB, what it does is give give you the platform APIs. You can create the uh, environment for yourself, and then you have a, a... there's a key rotation. How to connect to the cluster? So basically, this is the how. And let's say in future he wants to uh, promote his changing into the production environment. He creates some kind of a function using K projects or other CNCF projects. And let's say in future he come up with the app v2 problem. He has the same thing. Like he create another uh, environment. He created testing out of it. Development environment created, and there's a new environment created for them, and that he can see the changes happening. When he go to the production environment, he want to move it, this code and feature it to the production. He created an Argo CD running in the Kubernetes cluster. And now he can merge his changes and all the things is actually uh, 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 go to the production environment. So let's say, and I think that's where the backstage come into the play. Let's say in tomorrow or after a few weeks, that developer need a flagger in their cluster. So what it do is is actually install a cluster on the Kubernetes and install a flagger on top of it. And then you need a approval from his team lead, approval from the DevOps team. Do I need to create uh, install this flagger tool or not? And that's where the pain points are coming up. Like you, there's a DevOps continuous delivery tool already exists in the market. Now you have to install flagger, flux, and... For, the, for for this IDP story is how it's Chinese. Like now, IDP, you just create a platform APIs and now the flagger and the flux is already installed on the cluster and then you deploy application on top of it. It's basically a pain, give you some kind of construct that is already available on the cluster and you as a DevOps developer engineer, you have to need it. And that is where the main use cases of Backstage come into play. And that's where... Uh, Martinex expert on it on this feature. So, Martina, tell us what is catalog, scaffolder, technical documentation, and plugins for the platforms.
0: Exactly. So, all of these uh, things that this developer had to do were different use cases, and the platform team hopefully are trying to give a lot of autonomy to these developers and get themselves out of the production path or the critical path for feature teams to produce. Uh, new things. So they have created tools for all of these use cases. Now, where to put them into Backstage? Apart from all of these tools, as I said earlier, one is to catalog everything that goes to production and all the other environments as well, so that one could see everything in one place. The catalog is doing that is the inventory of all the services, libraries, websites, users, groups, that the company owns and also know well for each service who is the owner who do i ask if something seems to go wrong in this wrong in this microservice uh, right another interesting case is the scaffolder and if you want we can go through all of them and then one by one i can demo or we can go directly to the catalog demo and i can show it
1: yes i think we, we start with one of the one like catalog And then we go to the demo part of it
0: right so the catalog has a list of all the components uh, that you own and i can show you later how it looks like it also has a page for its service that will aggregate the most important information for that service and wherever it can't aggregate all the information because you cannot combine Datadog, logs, uh, uh, deployments from Argo, and everything into one page, then you can link out to the right third-party service or the right page, the right documentation, and so on. So maybe if I can share, I would be super happy to show you what this looks like in reality. Just one second. Okay, I think I am presented. yes. Let's look first at the catalog page, which I may have here actually. So this is all of the components I have in my company. But perhaps every time I visit this page, what I want to see is actually the ones I own. So I own one library, one service, and one documentation website. I can also search all the users in my company. I can also see the APIs with their um, specs as well. We can see that later. We can see groups, which can be teams or departments. And we can group components by systems, for example, and systems can be grouped into domains. So those are the main few things. Now, if I go into my favorite service, sample service, I can see the most important information about this service. I can Trigger a pager duty incident, and I will pitch whoever is on call for this service. I can see who is contributing based on GitHub. I can see dependabot depend alerts, code quality, some description: what is this service doing? The main links to, let's say, logs, graphs, alerts, etc. The latest workflow runs in, for example, GitHub Actions. Some statistics about pull requests, the average time for each pull request until it's merged is three days. This can be useful, for example, for teams that are looking at quality in their processes. I can have the readme here. And another important thing is their relations. So I can see how my microservice is connected to other services if it belongs to a system and so on. Uh, here we have another view of the recent workflow runs. I can perhaps re-trigger one if it failed, for example. We can also see some APIs. Let's look at the provided API for this service. And I can display the definition with some nice documentation for this service. So this is the catalog, this is the entity overview, this is the aggregation of all the third party services or internal tools that have important information about my service and makes my life faster because I know all the important information I care about is aggregated into one place and I always know where to go. And that is true for my services, the ones my team owns and also any other service in the company
1: yes that's that's very useful so a quick question here like let's say if we're working on this let's say sample service and it has a front-end back-end it might have some cache it might have some database let's say one sample service is comprised of front-end back-end cache and database and might be front-end using let's say angular.js and the back-end we are using let's say node.js so if I go to the sample services, I can see how my service is comprising of, and then we definitely, we have APIs where the front end is talking to the back end, where the API, if I go to that API, I can list down all the, I can list down all the services going on and uh, uh, then things how it works. So that is actually how I'm thinking about uh, uh, service catalog.
0: Exactly. So it's a very good way to connect all the services together. And it's not just a flat inventory of everything. You can also create graphs. You can understand, okay, this is the sample service API. Who are the consumers in this case? I don't have any sample data for this, but all of these services in this case uh, are providing the same API. And I can see which ones are consuming it. And then I can build a graph of all of the systems interconnected.
1: Yes, absolutely. And also one quick question, like if, if you wrote some kind of unit testing or integration testing for your service, so are those visible in the catalog or it's hidden in, or it's available in some other places?
0: That's a very good use case. It depends on the plugins that you install. So if you are using, let's say, what would you use for testing the coverage and uploading the coverage? We have, for example, a plugin for bug snug and things like that and track bugs. But if if you created a plugin or installed a plugin that is already existing in the open source community that tracks that information somewhere, it would be very easy to just display it here as one of these cards. So we could just add a new card and hopefully that will show the necessary Information about the test coverage.
1: Yes. Another quick question: Like, let's say if your service is hosted hosted on Kubernetes, uh, or if or some hosted into some different cluster, I can see one thing. Like, I can see the list of contributors who are working on this sample service. But let's say if that service has some DevOps engineers that actually created the infrastructure to host this service on. So all this information is still available in the catalog or it is hidden in some other places.
0: Yes, that can be also added to the catalog. We don't have that much sample data here, but the idea would be to track all of the resources as well in the catalog. So they will be created as kind resource and they can have different types. We chose to have just one example here for an S3 packet. But you can imagine this could be RDS instances, um, Kubernetes clusters as well, of course. Anything that you, you can imagine can be ingested into the catalog and displayed here. Then once you have the backend service as well, like as a sample service, you can declare the dependency of on those resources. And with that, you can display later the graph with all the dependencies between services, resources, APIs, and so on.
1: And another, another question in the chat I can see now, it's saying like, I hope there's an authorization, like people can only see what they're only supposed to.
0: Yes, that is supported in Backstage. And there is an implementation in one of the Spotify plugins. So with that, yes. RBAC is supported.
1: Oh yes, that's a good news because I actually like I don't want to ruin the life of other engineers by installing things on their services or on their cluster as well. So actually, good. I think the, so. The catalog actually gave us so another. I think so. Let's say if I am using the front end and the back end was well, the same example, and the front end is actually using on the Angular. So if I go to the Angular documentation or have some troubleshooting, so all those documentation is integrated in the backstage or do we click in the backstage and then go to the Angular documentation?
0: Right. So ideally one would see, okay, what is the website that is having issues? Is this one? You would go to the catalog find all the components. You can even say, I only want to have websites. Filter the one that is uh, that you want to check, and then go to that page, and you would find the documentation. Now, I don't think I have a good example of docs for websites, so let's go to the service, my favorite service again, and let's go to the docs. These are markdown rendered docs. And these docs live within the GitHub repository. They are written in Markdown and they are rendered with mkdocs. So we can render images, diagrams, and anything that is supported by mkdocs. We can have nice code snippets, and we can embed nice diagrams from Lucidchart, for example. Yes, so ideally, developers so would keep cool, right? sorry ideally developers would keep the all the documentation close to the code, and that would help keep this documentation up to date more easily.
1: yes, absolutely. I think that's really really in- interesting because. Uh, we see a pain like, if, as we mentioned, like we have different microservices. Working with a different microservices architecture, Kubernetes is always about the microservices, and the new paradigm is all about microservices. So if one, uh, uh, one microservice comprises comprises of three, four different micro, different components. And if those develop, if if all the documentation you can place in the same place, if that's really an ideal. That's a haven for the developer, actually, to go into one place and check all all the documentation. So so have we covered anything about catalog or still something left in here?
0: Perhaps the other thing I can show is the Explorer page. I'm not sure how good this data is. But we have also the graphing component that is... uh, displaying the network of and the connection of all the dependencies between resources and services that I was talking about before. So here is another important page that is very useful for let's say new joiners, people that are joining a a new team, how would they discover what services they should care about in this new team. You can have someone sitting down with you like in the old times and explaining these are the repos I care about or they can Write documentation, or they can have that automatically gathered here for them. So it's always up to date.
1: Uh, So basically one question here, like, uh, are these uh, associated link between, let's say I have a microservices front end and it has three, four repos in it. And do all the repos that are, because sometimes teams had different branching like dev, testing, and staging or production. Sometimes people have four, five, six branches. So, all these associated with, let's say, I have, I have a front end deployed in dev, testing, and production. So, basically, these are links uh, for those uh, uh, scenarios or just for the team. Let's say, if I'm working on like into this graph and see where I'm actually working on and where my team is working on.
0: Right, at the moment, I think there is not a very good way to display different deployments of the same component. So everything in the catalog around components is based on uh, a software code base. And then if that software code base can be deployed somewhere, is perhaps a service or a website, right? And you can you can make that choice yourself and define it as one type or the other. Now, if one of these components, software components has different deployments, unless you use a plugin like Argo CD, there is no good way to represent different, different environments in Backstage yet. I'm hoping that that is something that changes uh, over time. And we would be able to display in that graph how different services are deployed into different environments and different versions, of course, and how they uh, connect to each other. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. That definitely makes makes sense. So I think some of the things are missing, but definitely I think this is information uh, I might be interested in seeing. Like, what are the what if if I have one, let's say, front end. How many branches it has on well, one branch, who is actually maintaining the branch, or this kind of thing. But definitely I think that that's, can be a useful or might be overwhelming for the team as well, because everybody not want these, all these kinds of information. They look at the what they actually organization need as well. So I think basically it's change from team to team, organization to organization, and companies to companies. But all the things actually exist in the catalog, it's really interesting. Like if I am a developer, I because spend a lot of time doing the development. I want to be focusing on one stage but see all the things happening <coughs> for my application. Because let's say <coughs> if my uh, someone from my team is working with the backend, I not go to the another dashboard and see how the back back end is work. I can see in the one dashboard the back end is working by Martina and his has his, his back end is deployed on this application is deployed on AWS. Who is actually contributor to all these back ends? So, I think this is a very useful information. I think anybody watching or listening to us is really interesting to go more, learn more about this tool as well. So, can we go to part number two? We could talk about Scaffolder.
0: Yes. <laughs> there is a video. I'm not sure if uh, I should share it or if you have a better way to share it. Should I play it directly from
1: yes, here? Yes, you can share with me. You can share with me, and I will share them on the ch- chat as well. On the, or it might be in the Slack. Okay. Yes, I can okay. get it. Perfect. I can get it, and now posting it in the comments.
0: Should so I are present
1: you it share as well Yes. So, do we go to the slide or demo?
0: Uh, yeah, we can go to the slide first and then the demo. Yes,
1: yeah, so actually, let me share the slide now. And that's the scaffolder.
0: Perfect. So, what is the scaffolder? This is a tool that was built for scaffolding repositories. It's basically a tool that can take a template. You can define a template for, let's say, this is what a new microservice would look like in my organization. It's a a JavaScript or Node.js microservice, and it always has this file structure. Whenever I create a new repo with a new microservice of this type, I also want it to have the minimum uh, cicd pipeline in github actions so I can define that in uh, in the file in the template and so on and apart from this template one can run a scaffolder action and create another repository that has already the necessary things for these new nodejs microservice that is one particular case creating one microservice but one can imagine that if we have a tool that is scaffolding new, repositories or pull requests inside existing repositories one can also say okay I have a, a repository with my terraform code with all the infrastructure for my team department etc whenever I create a new microservice that needs a database I can just scaffold a pull request in this repository it will add the necessary terraform it will replace the names of the instance and so on with some parameters that developer, can define in a form and it creates a pull request that can be then reviewed and approved. Another case that would be more simple would be creating a documentation template. All the websites that are representing documentation, let's say I want to document all the golden paths in my company. I perhaps want to have all of them follow the same standards, right? So if I create a template that can be very easily executed and and created or instanced, then all the documentation is more likely to follow the same standards so if we go back to the database case and the service case if instead of asking people whenever they need to create a new microservice to start from scratch to do a tedious copy pasting from an existing microservice we say if you type these things in this form and just run it you can have a new repo, your service will have some basic code with one endpoint that is just a demo endpoint. And it will also be connected to production because it has also created a pull request in the Terraform repository to expose it into the development environment or the production environment. That can cut the time to production from weeks to just a few minutes. And this is what the scaffolder is trying to do. So, if you want, we can take a look at the demo and we can see it in action.
1: Yes, absolutely. Please share screen. I will add in the screen as well.
0: Let's see. That is going, going too fast. Will this be displayed all right?
1: Yes, I can see it. And I think hope people can also see it. So your screen is visible to me. So I think basically what I'm uh, understanding here is like let's say if your application yes you keep it running I think so we we'll okay. so I think what I'm actually getting here is like let's say if because so let's say if my if uh, I want this service to be deployed with this kind of a backend and we come we come up to that in the point of the organization whenever we have a service. We need, let's say, RDS, or we have a MySQL database for that service. And we want this to be standardized. Then we create a template for the scaffolder engine. So every time we create this kind of service, it's created in a similar way, no matter who has created it.
0: Exactly. I guess the the audio from the video was not uh was not working,
1: yes, I think we have i think in the, in in the setting you have to but you can explain it as as you can see because if you have some audio difficulty, but I share the link on the audios for so people can grab the link and see the recording as well
0: yeah, so th- this is the output of the scaffolding. it has created this new repository called Artist Service. It has created, and this doesn't have any service code. It was just a very simple example for the scaffolder, but it has created this file, which is I want everyone in the organization to run a few, um, let's say, lint security. I want everyone to run that, for example. So if I add it to the pull request uh, GitHub workflow, that makes it more likely that everyone will follow the same principles and run Lint security. It has also created a, a workflow for the merging action, has created a readme with a that is empty, but it contains a template. So I know that everyone will mostly follow this uh, same kind of standards, describe what to do to run it, to deploy it, and so on. And it also creates a catalog yaml file, which I, I haven't talked about before, but this is the core thing that goes into Backstage, the Backstage catalog. Uh, all the metadata for all of the services is created by developers. Some of it can be discovered automatically, but the main things are created in YAML files and they are supposed to be kept together with the service. So when we do a scaffolder template for a new service, it's a good practice to also keep the cataloging for YAML files together. And this way means people will not have to write this YAML themselves anymore. Hopefully, every time they create a service, they will run a scaffolder template, and that would create the YAML for them.
1: Yes, that, that's really cool. Absolutely. So, also like another question on top of it, on the, on the scaffolder. Let's say uh, I'm thinking about the Kubernetes uh, terminologies here. Like, let's say if if my company wants some services to have policy engine installed on top of it. They want some services, let's say, let's say they want uh, front-end services and then they create a policy engines, like who can access to these services. And you can see in the Kubernetes world, or in the containers world, we have a containers and these containers come from the registries like Docker Hub, Quay, or some other registry. But let's say if I want to restrict some all the people in my company to not use Docker Hub, but you use QA registry. So and nobody is able to pull the images from the Docker hub, but they eventually go to the QA registry and they pull the images. For that, we need a policy engine like, let's say, Kaverno and Open Policy Agents. And that's a one example of policy engine. And let's say we create a services and we get a Kubernetes YAML file. And we want every time we have create a this service, we have a policy engine or the policy as code are already baked into that YAML file. So can Scaffolder do these kind of things as well?
0: Exactly. So you would create a template so that it creates this open, uh, sorry, this pull request. And that pull request will contain some files and one of those files will refer to these uh, policies. So anything that is GitOps related, matches very well with the Scaffolder, because the the main expertise of the Scaffolder is to take some template, apply some values, create pull requests and or new repositories. Also, these new repositories are, also can be set with branch protection by default and so on. That makes it very easy for everyone to follow the same standards or policies and so on. The other thing that the Scaffolder can do as well is call HTTP endpoints. So, if something, let's say there was a policy engine that was not defined in GitOps, one could also have at the bottom of the template an HTTP request to the third party service and say, enable this policy for this service.
1: Yes, absolutely. So, I, as soon as we merge a pull request in GitHub, there's some predefined checks already in place in Backstage. And then that's basically defined your company standards and that basically some yamls file the metadata associated with it so every time you merge a pull request in github some checks already in place on that check scaffolder can do some policy stuff some terraform stuff some other stuff as well because let's say some companies want we do not want to create a virtual machine that has uh, much of the uh, RAM, cpu ram it give you a lot of the dollars when it's actually spun up so you restrict your team to not create virtual machines that are cost effective like that much cost associated with it so as, as soon as somebody create a merge request, pull request in github you actually get some kind of things that restrict you for creating massive virtual machines that another way of thinking about it so that's good news because everybody wants those policies and these features as well.
0: Well, remember the scaffolder will run once and then it will stop. So everything that has to be checked for each pull request, I guess it would have to be implemented as one of the GitHub checks, for example, like a GitHub app that would install install a webhook and then it would check the pull request, right? But what you can do with the Scaffolder is to have that GitHub workflow run for all the pull requests, if that's what you wanted to do. But just to clarify that the Scaffolder doesn't run on each pull request run. It's not a check itself. It's the thing that creates the pull request in the first place.
1: Oh, yes, I get it. So basically it's create the pull request. And once the pull request it's created, You can define GitHub Actions, and then you create those additional requirements for your organization or your teams or your DevOps engineer. I get it. So basically, the scaffolder is actually on behalf of us creating a pull request, and then you integrate those workflow on top of it. I get it. Good. Yeah, it's
0: automated pull requests or automated repositories, let's say.
1: Yes, I got it. I got it. But that's really makes sense to me because as i gone through those situations, it's really hard at it before that as well. So good. So I share the link once again for this video recording that is actually Martina sharing on this on her screen. Now you go on this link and you can watch how scaffolder works behind the scene as well. So another question before we go to another subject as well is some companies want to build the scaffolder let's say if I'm working with a company and I created a scaffolder or template and I make it available for all of the other company, all of the other people mm-hmm. as part of some kind of a marketplace or something. So can, are these things allowed? Are these use cases are feasible in the backstage?
0: Exactly. So whenever you want to, and I can show you uh, perhaps what we have here. That was in the beginning of the video, but I wasn't, the audio was not working. Let me share my screen again. So, once the template is created, the template is going to be composed of two things a repository with a folder that has all the templated files, and it would take all of those files and create the templated version out of them, and a YAML file that is That defines what the template needs to do when it runs. Once you have that, you can register the template in backstage in the catalog as if any other entity. And once it's registered in the catalog, and actually they can be seen in the catalog, if I go to the back to the catalog and then template, these are the templates I have registered. Now these are just the entities. The way to use it is to go to create and then pick the template you want to use so yes this will be visible to everyone inside your company
1: yes absolutely absolutely or or, or if let's say if i if i connect this discussion with a scaffolder so all these templates can be used as a scaffolder or Scaffolder is basically a thing that you create and it's created a pull request from you and then you create another additional policy. But I'm thinking like if Scaffolder as a library or some kind of an engine that people can generate uh, and then other people can use it.
0: Right, exposing the Scaffolder itself.
1: Yes, that's that's the question.
0: Yeah. Well, there is. It is built as a backstage plugin. It's a node. is two or three Node.js packages. I guess they could be run standalone, but I, I am not sure.
1: Yes, I get it. I get it.
0: The, I get it. The main thing could be perhaps something like cookie cutter. That was the original implementation of Scaffolder.
1: Yes, I get it. I get it. But de- definitely, I will try to see some of the stuff is it, because it's a really cool now because I I definitely want it because if if somebody create, let's say the scaffolder will generate a pull request, it's actually create a very, very wonderful workflow for the development team as well. Then you create some kind of GitHub actions that you can run on the pull request, then create mm-hmm. a policy engine that can actually test the Terraform file and then can actually deploy stuff into the production. So it's actually a wonderful workflow. I think that's a really a wonderful use case as well. So anything uh, uh, before we move on to the technical documentation? Uh, is it any other demo you give for the stack scaffolder?
0: <coughs> no, I think we can move on to the next one. I think my connection may be frozen.
1: Oh, sorry, I think so can you see my screen? Is We are now yes. in the technical documentation.
0: Yes, uh, exactly. So the technical documentation is what I shared earlier with MK docs and the rendered markdown. The idea of this is to aggregate all the technical documentation into one portal. If all the technical documentation for each service is in one place and it's easy to add because it's in the same repository as the code, easy to keep up to date and so on. The bet is that the documentation quality over, over time will improve. It will be more accessible to everyone in the company because it's very open. Anyone can search for the artist service I created earlier and see what the API is, what the documentation for the service is and so on. It speeds up onboarding of new joiners as well makes it easy for people to collaborate across teams. So this is one of the main use cases uh, for having Backstage, apart from the inventory. Once everything is inventorized, technical docs is probably the next thing to focus on.
1: Yes, I think might be the question the people mind. like, let's say if you integrate the technical documentation inside the Backstage, And there are some plugins that you are using, let's say third-party libraries that you're using. They have their own website and their documentation live in their own website. But this documentation is now also lives in the backstage as well. How the updates work for both of the places, like is it updated effectively in the backstage plus in their own website or do actually you are actually responsible for the Uh, documentation that is actually necessary for you, not for the uh, third-party library. you actually uh, creating a documentation that how you are using the third-party library, not how the third-party library works, install, configure, uh, or how they are using. So that is actually the question.
0: So are you talking about a third-party service that is storing the documentation for you? instead of the repository, or like documenting a third-party service, sorry, library.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely.
0: Documenting something else. Yes, so one thing, the main case here is you have your code, the code is a service, right? It's classified as a service, and it's in the catalog. Then that code also has tech docs associated in the same repository, but one can also create a repository that only contains technical documentation, also in Markdown, and then you can register that as, that as a as a docs kind of page, and you don't have to take care of um, let's say uh, rendering it every time you merge a pull request or deploying it anywhere. You know that it will be done by backstage for you. And you can register that, and if you want, I can share an example again. If I go, so we were in the catalog before. The other option is to go to the docs, and this is like a catalog only for documentation. And. These are entities that are registered as documentation entities. And this one hasn't been built probably in a long time or is even broken. Uh, But you know, it it looks like the same I showed earlier with the sample service, but the page only contains the documentation like this one. Then the other case is how, what happens if a service has decided to store documentation in Confluence instead of the repo. And TechDocs today, the page I was showing earlier and this one only supports Markdown files in a repository. It can be GitHub, GitLab, Bitbucket or any SEM that you choose, but only that kind of documentation. Now there's also search and the search can be configured to get certain spaces from uh, Confluence. And and you you would be able to search it as well there inside Backstage. And that link then would take you outside of Backstage to the Confluence page. The other good thing about the catalog, if one is using documentation outside of Backstage, is that you can link to anything that is relevant to the service. So either in the readme file, this could be a link to my Confluence page, my Notion page, my Google Docs, or here in the links I can say documentation and just have a link to the proper page. That means everyone that wants to find the documentation for a service, regardless of where it lives, they can find it very easily. You just go here and you will know where, where it will take you directly to it.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's make totally sense for me because otherwise, what's happening right now is people creating a GitHub repository and <coughs> the living documentation is actually exists in that GitHub repository. What happened here is as the team leaves, as the team member leaves from the company, there are some outdated information and nobody actually take owns the responsibility of updating those docs into the GitHub repository that the code is actually is actually up to date but the documentation is not saying up to date what happening with a new team member joins your team you are actually doing having some mistake because he reading the documentation that this command is actually used to build up the container but he sees the error because now the version of the container container they are using is actually updated but if that information is visible here, that everybody can say like now he's, he's, he leaves the team, now that uh, outdated information is presented because living is all alongside the code, you have just click on the one navigation and all the documentation lives in there. So actually, I think that is a hugely powerful feature of the backstage as well, because we don't have other solution that gives you the flexibility of writing the everything that your application comprises of in one place. That is one of the features I really like about this stuff is because this is literally so much powerful because you are now troublesho- are troubleshooting less because you are documenting everything in one place.
0: Exactly. And you can do things faster. If you are troubleshooting an incident and you have to remember where where the logs were or where the graphs or where the documentation is, and even for other teams' things, then you're going to spend perhaps 20 minutes looking for the right place for that documentation. Instead, you spend two minutes because you know exactly where to go to find it wherever it is. So it's about making developers faster. The end.
1: Yes, absolutely. And basically, like I think for, if let's say if somebody using Kubernetes, then Kubernetes has service meshes, then has GitOps, then has, let's say, there are some, if somebody using a plugins in Kubernetes, these are so many of them, And let's say if somebody using policy engine, they go to the let's say open policy Agent website or the Kaivarna website, and then they have the living documentation in four different places. That is once again, the same question because a lot of the troubleshooting you are doing for your application is because of the lack of documentation and lack of the communication skills you have within your team. So I think this is actually uh, changing your culture of the company you actually working a lot on standardization and less on the troubleshooting. Before that, we get what we're doing, with stup, spend 80% of the time troubleshooting and 20% of the time in the standardization. I think that's really a wonderful feature. I think that's why backstage is getting a lot of momentum because not a one person in this team in this planet would not liking this feature. I don't see a reason why you don't like this feature.
0: Indeed. Nowadays, everything that reduces cognitive load, I think, is, is a big win for any company.
1: Absolutely. So now I'm seeing my, my screen as well. So we now let's talk about BySpoke plugin. Before.
0: Right. So we've seen a few plugins that are already inside Backstage or inside Rode. There are a lot of plugins in the open source community. The community has been amazing in these are plugins for very like a lot of very common tools, and that is great. But what happens if a company runs deployments and they want to expose an abstraction on top of Argo CD, or they are not using Argo CD, they are using some old uh, way of deploying things, but they still want to expose that information in a nice way? to all the feature teams. Well, you can build your own Backstage plugin and put it in Backstage and expose it to all your teams. And this is what I call the bespoke plugins. It's super easy to build these plugins. Usually, you just need a small frontend. You can do things like exposing deployments or visualizing the environment, which is a case that is not very well supported today in Backstage, requesting the test environments we were talking about earlier, and so on. And because you're exposing, again, a new piece of infrastructure, a new abstraction to everyone in the same single pane of glass, that means that the adoption of your tool will be uh, very fast and it will reach all developers faster. People will start using it faster. People will know how to find it and so on. So this is my little encouragement to people to, if they are using Backstage, to build their own plugins and expose their infrastructure tools or any tools really uh, inside it.
1: Yes, so basically what I see, like let's say there are some code specific plugins. There are some plugin might be helpful to visualize an infrastructure. So let's say if you create some plugin that can be visualized how you stood up your infrastructure, then you mm-hmm. make it available as a marketplace and everybody can use those plugins as well. So that's how I, how I can see it. And there might be a chances if some of the open source project might create their own plugin and that's available in the backstage for the consumption of the development team.
0: Exactly. And if, if that plugin that is built in your company, you want to open source it, please expose it in the marketplace uh, backstage.io. And that's great. The more contributions from the community, the the better.
1: Yes, absolutely. So do we see a demo or then we go to the next part?
0: I think we can go to the next one. This is the the eyes of the cake. (laughs) You have backstage, you have everything in your catalog you have built your own plugins you have tech docs you can scaffold new services and so on the company is using uh, this this uh, uh, this fascinating uh, new developer portal right what is what can you do next well drive change in the organization drive that standardization drive the quality up and the way to do it is with something called tech insights so tech insights is a way to expose information and knowledge about the way that the organization is working and the services are performing to the developers, to the owners of those services. And the bet here is that by exposing more knowledge to the teams, the teams will want to improve the quality of those services. Or maybe those teams have been wanting to improve security and reliability of their their services for a long time. But there it's there is so much pressure from product that they cannot work on that. Well, this is a way to say, I have this critical service running in production and it's lagging behind in security because I have five critical, that's a lot, but I have a, a couple of critical vulnerabilities running in there. I have to fix that. So one could define standards and one can say, these are going to be my reliability standards. Level one, two, three, and four. Level one is you need to have at least something set up in Datadog, some SLAs, SLOs, and so on. And perhaps in the level two, to make sure that there is enough instances in each Kubernetes cluster so that there is high availability. The same for security, you can define Lower standards for services that are not critical and for the services that are very critical or exposed to users directly, you can say those have to have absolutely zero medium vulnerabilities in their dependencies. So this is what this product is doing. There is a a baseline in the open source to build your own tech insights and you, you would be able to expose this Uh, to your developers, and we also have in Rode version, uh, it's our first proprietary feature where we do most of this work automatically for for the customers.
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So before we're going, we need to share some learning resources with the people. So here are some learning resources. You go to the backstage.io, is a website for the building, an open platform for building developer portal. And you can see what the developer portal means. There's a docs for the backstage. I think that's really shiny one. I have enough information to know how to get started with the projects. It's a wonderful blog post is also available. And the big thing is that you can join the Discord community of the backstage. I am also there. Uh, And you can actually ping us. We can have more conversation. You can see more conversation there. And if you look at the GitHub stars, after the Kubernetes stars, I think it's slowly but surely getting a lot of the stars in the GitHub repository. And the reason why people are starring it is because the thing we, we spoke about today. And there's a managed service of the backstage. You can spawn it up locally, manage everything by yourself. But there are some teams who are building your life uh, 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 or uh, investing time to make your life easier by building a managed solution for the backstage IO. And that's necessary now because backstage has so many things. And you need a huge, huge team who can actually work on the backstage as well because it's also a software who has patches, releases, backfixes, everything. And it's quite to be a challenging when these projects grow with plugins and all these kind of things. So managed solutions might be a better option if you're looking forward to it. Here's a roadie website, and you can go to the Twitter handle as well and see what the uh, the new updates is coming up every day. And in future, because in this Monday, as just in Monday of this week of 20th of February, we hosted a Kubernetes Community Days Pakistan. I hope in future we can see more backstage talk in there. If you go to this link, you can see some of the introduction to backstage uh, presentation by Brad McQuay and Courtney Nickerson. You can enjoy those as well. And if you're interested in seeing more talks, please subscribe to this channel and we will see uh, more content into it. So before I we go, Martina, so can you let us know are you going to the KubeCon? If some of the com- people are going to the KubeCon from your team, especially from the Rowdy, how would they find you?
0: Unfortunately, I am not going to this edition of KubeCon. I was there last year in Detroit, but this time I cannot join. But my colleague Jorge will be there from Rowdy, and I think he has a, a, a talk as well there, so you may be able to to find him. I think
1: you're on mute. Thanks, thanks, thanks once again. So before we go, let me actually recap in a very small uh, words what we actually covered today. Spotify Backstage is an open platform for building developer portal. It provides set of TypeScript libraries, which can be composed together to build a developer portal for your engineering organization. It's great. It was created inside Spotify and it's used there for a few years before being open source in 2020. It's now a CNCF incubating project. It combines the service catalog with the developer portal UI in order to improve engineering effectiveness and our overall happiness. So basically, it's a provide features like it's pro- it's collect software tools, teams, people and other assets into one place where they can e- be can be easily searched and organized. This helps improve discoverability. It tracks team and software assets and make it easier to create a clear linkage between them. It makes it easy to d- define pre-approved template and create new software for them. They speed up the software development processes and improves production reliability and homogeneity. And it is a perfect place to detect when an engine standard is not being upheld and it can nudge team in a better direction. So that is a major feature of the backstage. If you like it, there's a website, check that out go to the Discord channel and start the discussion there. And if you looked for the managed solution, Routed Outdoor is a place for you. And thank you very much for tuning into this channel and enjoy listening to us thank you martina it's been a pleasure talking to you hope to catch you up again in the future as well a great talk learned a lot about backstage and you removed some of the confusion of mine about backstage as well so thank you very much for your time ha- stay happy stay wonderful everyone we will meet you again in the same channel again in the might be next week bye-bye
0: thank you saeim